FIA welcomes you to The Art Parlor, where visually impaired artists of all types will discuss their work. Pull up a chair, bring your beverage of choice, and listen to thoughtful, stimulating conversations with visually impaired artists in all media and from all parts of the world. And now, here's your host, Peter Alchel. So welcome to our next Friends in Art podcast. My name is Peter Alchel, the program chair of Friends in Art, and we are thrilled to have as our guest Daryl Lukes, who, among other things, has two shows on ASB Radio. Daryl, welcome to our podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So why don't you start by telling us about the two ASB Radio shows you run? Okay. On Monday afternoons from 2 to 5 Eastern Time, I do a classical music show. And what's nice about it is, of course, we're not limited by any commercial constraints or so I'm able to play the long pieces and the hour-long symphonies and things like that, which to me is wonderful to be able to do that. And then on Fridays, just because I grew up in the 60s and 70s, I do a, a kind of a top 40 oldies show, and I try to feature songs that you haven't heard in a long time. You know, hits, but not super-duper hits that you would hear on the radio now. And that's also from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern on Friday afternoons. So getting back to the classical show, talk to us about your programs for the past couple of shows. Well, the big show that I really loved doing was the Beethoven, 250th anniversary of his birth. And that was uh, uh, December. Well, I, I think I was on the air on December 14th. But that was fun to just do an all-Beethoven show. And I featured some of his sonatas, symphonies, concertos, everything. That was that was a lot of fun. And I kind of play what I feel like listening to at the time, although I program it probably in the morning or or the day before now as to, you know, so it's, it's a day old what I think, gee, what I would I like to hear today? And you know, I'm trying to... Uh, get more variety, get some more modern composers in there, and especially uh, uh, some of the women composers that are are vastly underheard these days. And uh, of course, listener suggestions are always welcome. I'm happy to play stuff, uh, you know, the next following week when people people want to hear things. And, and that's kind of what I do. And there are times actually that I'll just wing it in the afternoon and say, what do I really feel like listening? And I have an extensive CD collection, so you can call me an old timer, I guess. But a lot of music I play is right off my CDs and my personal collection. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you to make suggestions about what to play, how do they reach you? My email address is Darrow, my first name, D-A-R-R-O-W, at acbradio.org. So that's D-A-R-R-O-W at acbradio.org. Yes, sir. All right. So go to your Friday uh, Top 40 show. Give, me a, give us a sense of what kinds of music you played over the past couple of weeks. Well, I primarily play the 60s and 70s, although I do slip into the 80s a little bit. And once in a while, even back to the 50s, I was a commercial disc jockey in the late 70s and 80s. So all the songs, well, a lot of the songs I play, I actually played on commercial radio back in the quote unquote adult contemporary and top 40 radio days. And I just kind of reminisce and I also take requests. I also kind of play songs. I just go through various services and look at song titles like, oh yeah, I remember that song. And then, then I'll play it. And that's, that's kind of the way I program that show. And I try to reminisce about radio 
uh, I'm from the East Coast, the Northeast. So I can reminisce a lot about stations like WABC and stuff like that. And I encourage listeners to to write in with their memories of top 40 radio elsewhere in the in the country. So we kind of kind of make it a both a radio and music reminiscing show. So what were some of the songs you played last week, if you can remember? Well, one of the songs, which I think uh, I, anybody listening to this show will have to smile when I say that I played You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone, which was an astronomical hit in uh, 1978. Eight. Yep. 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 Oh, let's see. I played anything from uh, Dizzy by Tommy Rowe, the late 60s. Uh, I do play some Beatles. I think I played a couple of early Beatles songs. Matter of fact, I think I played... Uh, uh, roll over Beethoven, of course. <laughs> that has good meaning for me. And I play some later Beatles stuff. Again, Beatles, I try to, uh, I think I played Penny Lane, try to play some stuff that that's not heard that often. Uh, every, I try to get some one hit wonders in there. I love, of course, because he's blind, Stevie Wonder. I'm, I know I played Sign Seal, Delivered, I'm Yours. Oh, what else can I remember? Uh, Darrow, this is Annie. Um, hey, how Annie. many songs do you go through in one show? Believe it or not, about fifty, because the songs are from the from the sixties and seventies. They're they're kind of short compared to the your classical show, which is probably a lot less. Oh yes, the classical show actually. Uh, I like to play full length work. So, mm-hmm. for example, on the Beethoven anniversary, I play Beethoven's Ninth, which is at least an hour and ten minutes long. Yeah, just, wow. So, yeah. Yeah, no, classical music pieces tend to be pretty, pretty long, and especially the, the, the better known pieces. Um, have, have, you, have you ever played any Mahler symphonies on your show, uh, Daryl? Uh, I've played Mahler symphony number one. I happen to love Mahler symphonies. And one of these days, I'm going to play Mahler's third, which is well over an hour and a half long. I'm a big fan of his second, actually. So I, oh, I my, my request is Mahler two of his of his symphonies, but I don't run the show, so you can do whatever you want. Mahler's oh. fourth is also interesting too. I was very disappointed because actually, before COVID struck, I was supposed to see the New York Philharmonic in person perform Mahler's second, but of course, it was canceled due to COVID. So that was yeah. a disappointment. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, Mahler is an interesting composer to say to say the least. But and I I read his. Uh, biography too and it was a very interesting chap that's for sure yeah we will encourage people to listen to your show uh <laughs> and and to make suggestions I've, I've sent you a couple suggestions one of which you accepted one of which you smartly ignored so, uh, <laughs> i believe i know which one you're talking <laughs> yeah, about yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway um let's let's uh talk about your love of music how did your love of music get started my love of music actually got started. Classical music is when I was a little kid. My mother was very much involved in where I live is just outside New Haven, Connecticut, where Yale University is. And so, of course, there's the Yale School of Music there, which says there's a lot of classical music in New Haven, far more than other cities that size, about 120, 130,000 people. My mother was on the board of directors of the New Haven Symphony, which although they had a lot of Yale musicians in the symphony, was not technically associated with Yale. And when I was a kid, she was on the board of directors, so she would go to many concerts, and she was a big orchestrator, no pun intended, of children's concerts on Saturday afternoons. And when I was really young, she would drag my sister and I to these concerts. And at first, I'd go kicking and screaming, 
But by the time I guess I was 10 or 15 years old, I don't remember exactly when. It's like I started to really, really enjoy the music and see it in person. And and that's sort of how my love of classical music developed. And even back in the 60s, they had the Metropolitan Opera on many radio stations on a Saturday yes. afternoon. So she'd always be listening to that. So I uh, I'm not by any means an expert on opera, but I enjoy listening to that also. And it just developed over time. And I did sort of lose, uh, although I always listened to classical music, but in terms of going to concerts and being involved, that sort of disappeared when I was in my 20s and 30s, you know, work commitments and just how we all are in life at that age. And when I got to be older, uh, back in my 40s, it, it came back with vengeance and I started listening almost exclusively to it. So let's we'll we'll come back to that. But I'm I'm curious, what were some of the pieces you liked as a kid? Oh, I I've always loved Beethoven. Like you know, of course, Beethoven's fifth. You know, that's right. uh, that that's a piece I can remember hearing when I was very young. And another piece that I really sticks out in my mind that I heard when I was young was Brahms' Second Symphony. That and and as a matter of fact, his Second Piano Concerto. Both those pieces, for some reason, I can remember hearing when I was young and really, really falling in love with them. And matter of fact, another piano concerto, number two is uh, Rachmaninoff. That's just a beautiful piece of music. Those, mm-hmm. are, those are my earliest memories of classical music. What about the William Tell Overture? I mean, oh. that's kind of like <laughs> classic <laughs> children's. <laughs> yes, it was. When I was a kid, the Lone Ranger was still on TV a lot. And of course, they used that for the theme song. <laughs> yes, so, overdid so, that one. Yeah. So I love you- Oh, I love to play the I love to play the you know the full version of the William Tell Overture because it starts off so so mellow and quiet yes. and then all yeah. of a sudden all boom right. <laughs> yeah yeah so so there are lots of children's pieces that were written by various composers you know Peter and the Wolf were you subject to those pieces as well uh, yes I was uh, actually my mother really liked the Simple Symphony by uh, Oh, come Britain. on, the British composers. Um, ben, ben, uh, Benjamin Britain. Benjamin yeah. Britain. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, that that mean meant a lot to me, and uh, uh, they, you know, they did. I I actually can't remember the specific pieces, but what they would do in the children's concerts is they'd introduce the various sections of the orchestra and have them play. For, you know, for example, Brahms Piano Concerto. They would have you know the pianist play it play it solo a little bit so you get the feel of it and even for example like the second violins they'd have them just play so you get the feel of what the different parts of each orchestra really meant to the overall uh composition and did you uh, what instrument did you play growing up what musical instruments did you Uh, i played the piano and just like many other kids i know i gave it up in high school and i've regretted it for the rest of my life well, just for the record, I also gave up piano in junior high school, and it was the best decision I ever made. So uh, uh, oh, okay. I, I moved on to playing drums, and that really has been my my thing. Oh, good but for anyway, you. that's a good. different conversation. Yep. So what kinds of pieces did you play on the piano? How often did you practice? All that kind of stuff. Well, uh, I played almost every day, and believe it or not, the piece that I played, I played a lot of Chopin, of course, right. but the piece I played the most was, don't ask me why, but it was the Marines hymn. I just, I can sing it to you now, or, you know, I can do that right now. For some reason, I would just, I love that piece and I played it over and over again. Well, there you, there you go. Yeah. So here you were, you were heavily into class. Um, let's, let's actually, before we moved on to your adult years, when you left music behind for a while. Talk about your love of sort of top 40 music. How, how did that get started? 
Well, it's it, very interesting because it goes hand in hand with my love of the radio business is that I've always loved listening to the radio. And my parents actually both worked in radio and they met at a local radio station here in New Haven. And, and that's that's how they met and they married and they both worked in their in the radio business. And my mother till she was 60 and my father till in his 50s, he went to the advertising side of it. So I, I just loved radio and I just loved Top 40 radio. I'd listened to all the Top 40 stations, the local ones, and of course, WABC, stuff like that. And uh, I actually had a little toy radio station set up in the house. Back then, an FM wireless mic was like unheard of. You know, now wireless mics are everywhere. And I had one of those and I could broadcast. I was so excited because my next door neighbor could hear me. <laughs> and so, cool. so, so you, <laughs> that's funny. So you were playing uh, amateur DJ through your, I guess, as, as a kid? Yep. Yep, okay. just holding the microphone up to you know our old record player speakers and practicing is you know being a DJ probably was more fun than playing the piano. It definitely was, and I think yeah. that might have contributed a little bit to my uh, shifting of gears, if yeah. you will. Sure, I think you mentioned earlier in the show that you you uh, uh, did some DJing in the seventies and eighties. Is that what you said? Yes, I did. So, so uh, talk about how how that happened. Uh, well, it happened because my mother, the radio station my mother was working at. She got me in there literally to answer the telephones for the, the telephone talk shows and you screen it and make sure people are want to talk about something related. And one thing led to another. And, oh, after I was at the station, maybe a couple of years, I really kept bugging the program director to, you know, can I, can I go on the air? I'll, I'll do the all night show. I'll do anything. And uh, <laughs> one time there was nobody else to do it. And, and I was the only one in the building. So that was, that's how I got started. And, and, and one thing led to another and uh, I just kept, kept doing it, but that's how I got myself on the air is just kind of got lucky one night. Cause I really wanted to do it. And, uh, I've pretty much done everything uh, in the radio business except sell advertising. I've never done that. But other than that, uh, that's how I got involved. And uh, Darrow, this is Annie. I have a question. How did you? Were you visually impaired back then? Yes, but not as much. I've only had vision my entire life in one eye, and I've had some blind spots in it. But my vision was good enough when I was younger that I could work in radio and I could read the uh, you know the record labels and such. Okay. Because I was wondering what, you know, how you did that, um, how you handled that. Did it ever become an issue later yes, on? Or? Uh, much later on, because what I did is I worked in the radio business, and then I, I went to college and became an electrical engineer and decided I wanted to do that mainly because there was more money involved. Details, yeah. uh, details, yeah. <laughs> Radio is notoriously a low-paying profession. So as I got older, there's a classical music station. You probably can hear it in your area, Annie, WMNR in Connecticut. And I was mm -hmm. on there for a number of years doing a classical show. Oh, wow. And then my vision just got so bad that I couldn't, it, it was a, about 40 minutes from my house. My vision got so bad that I was not comfortable driving and I had to give up driving. So that was sort of the, the end of it. My my ex-wife drove me there uh, a few times, but it got to be a real hassle. So unfortunately that ended it. And that was, I was so delighted when I discovered ACB radio. So we'll come back to that. So how long were you on this radio station in Connecticut? Uh, six years from 2011 to 2017. I did. I'm, I'm sorry. Six. I asked the question poorly. How long were you on that top 40 radio station back in your callow youth? 
Uh, well, back then, of course, nobody worked for any radio station too long, but a total a total of uh, three stations, total of about 10 years. Okay. So you were obviously going to college and doing other things while you were brought, while you were doing that? Yes, and I must admit, I skipped many a college class to do the morning show on a radio station. <laughs> hey, we know where our priorities are, right? That's I mean, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, you know, uh, DJing is far more important than, than college calculus, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, I don't think yeah. my parents agreed with that, but well, they couldn't do much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, so you, uh, once you went to college, you got your degree in electrical engineering. At some point, as I understand your story, you sort of, uh, you, you know, music wasn't as important to you. So talk about how that happened and what you did during that period of time. Yeah, when I was in my early 20s, uh, you know, I was all into to working. It was, you know, it was, it was great to work. And I actually was very lucky enough to get a job with Sikorsky Helicopters in Stratford, Connecticut. And once again, luck was on my side. I got assigned to uh, a program where they were selling helicopters to the Australian Navy. And I was involved in that. And I I, I basically say I commuted to Australia because I spent about half my time in Australia for about five years and half time here. And I was really so busy that, of course, anytime I was in a car, I'd listen to classical music, but I was just too busy to be involved. And yeah. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get to see, for example, any concerts at the Sydney Opera House in Australia, but that's the way it goes. <laughs> that's supposed to be a fabulous place. I, I, oh, it's beautiful on the outside. It's yeah. just spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Pictures don't do it justice. Speaking of concerts, what was, I'm curious, what was your first rock concert or your first top 40 show the that first, you saw in person? The first concert I ever went to was the Beach Boys at the old New Haven <laughs> Coliseum. Oh, how, how, oh, wow. Yeah, I saw how, them too. How were they I saw they them in, um, in Central Park. How were they live? Uh, I thought I don't know what you thought, Annie, but I thought they were great. And that, the reason I saw the Beach Boys first was my mother thought I guess that was clean living enough that you know she would let me go to that concert. Yeah, I saw the Beach Boys and Donna Summer in a Ooh, in a in a back to back in um in Central Park. They were really great. Yeah, I remember Donna Summer wasn't so good, but the Beach Boys. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, she was like I don't know, wishy washy. Wishy washy. Uh, yeah, yeah, like she didn't. Good. She wasn't a good stage performer. That's like she didn't, she didn't. You know how stage some stage performers either they have it or they don't. Either yes. they take the stage or they don't. She yeah. just did not. Interesting. Yeah, no. yeah. Because she was such a huge uh, star, the disco yeah. queen. Yeah, you know? disco queen, mm -hmm. and and the, and she really could sing too. I mean, she really had a great voice. Yeah, and had a good sense of style. She anyway, sure that's did. yeah, she she truly did. So did you play disco in your DJ days? I did indeed, yes. And and you know, of course, the real first disco hit was the hustle by Van McCoy. Yes. And yes. Mm -hmm. they, they told us to to play that about every hour. They wanted they wanted really big exposure on that. So I I sure did. And back back in the late 70s, it was in the radio days where they wanted you to play the same songs over and over again. So yeah. <laughs> some of those disco <laughs> songs are ingrained in my head forever. Imagine, that. yeah. Well, I was in college during a good a good deal of that time, and you know, uh, the, the I was I was with a I was in a uh, place with lots of sports folks, and that's that's what they wanted to hear. So that's a, a good deal of what I heard too, when I, when I wasn't doing my own music musical stuff. So all right, so you're so you're in Australia, you're here, you're you're doing your work. Um, 
and your vision was still okay. You could you could still do your your work reasonably well. I mean, you you weren't legally blind or anything back then, right? That's correct. I think I was a lot lower vision than I wanted to admit, but I was you know kind of hell bent that I didn't want it to stop me, and I loved what I was doing. And and you could sort of pass, if, if, as they say. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That's that. All right. How long were you an electric engineer? You, you, you did that for how long? Uh, let's see. I did that for about 15 years. And so, and th- so that was approximately until when 1990s or something like that. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, yeah, actually right around the year 2000 is when 2000. I switched. Yep. Okay. All right. So you switched to what? Uh, well, I had a brief stint in the family business, uh, a direct mail business. And that, I knew that really wasn't for me. I, I got to the point where I really wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. So I became a police fire EMS 911 dispatcher. And I I actually loved that job. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And what did you like about that job? Helping people, helping people in distress. And I could go on to the whole show talking about some of the calls I took, but it really was rewarding to me to, you know, if if I took a domestic call, it'd be, it'd be rewarding to see that the husband, this may sound strange, but, or the offender was arrested and, or if people were in, in medical distress, you know, some people would actually stop by the police station afterwards and later, you know, a few days later, whatever, sure. and thank me. Mm-hmm. It, was, yeah. it was wonderful. So at this point, um, uh, again, you were legally, you were, you, you maybe could see as well, but you could do the job without too much trouble. Yes. Toward the end, I did start to have some trouble and the computer screens just seemed like the print was getting smaller and smaller and causing me more trouble. Yeah. So how long were you uh, one of those uh, 911 operators? That's what you were, essentially, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I did it for a total of about 15 years. Okay. I ended my career at uh, a local hospital where it was less... It was still 911 in the hospital. It's a very large hospital, mm-hmm. but uh, it involved less vision all the time. And sometimes I didn't even have to look at a computer screen during the day. So I was actually more comfortable with it toward the end of my career. Yeah, that job is is high stress, right? I mean, you really have to keep yourself under control to be successful at that kind of work. Uh, very much so. And the yeah. thing about it is you can go from totally quiet, absolutely nothing going on, literally your feet up, you know, reading a magazine or whatever to all of a sudden you're, you're going flat out that, that everybody's going and you, you go from zero to a hundred in like one second. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, oh. yeah. Okay. So you're, you're doing your, you're doing your nine one one operator stuff and doing good work. How did you reconnect with music? I started listening again seriously when actually well, I was a 911 dispatcher and I was stuck on the night shift for a while and that was always very quiet. So it's like, ah, let me let me start listening. This was just when online radio was becoming big. And I started to listen to classical music again. And my parents were still involved in the local orchestras in New Haven. Actually, at that point, it was pretty much the Yale University orchestras. And I started going to concerts with them again and and I was hooked. So how did your relationship with music change between your, you know, your younger years and, you know, your reconnection with music? I think that when I was younger, I just listened to it because I wanted to listen to it and I liked the sound of it. Now I'm much more interested in the various arrangements and, for example, how one piece of music can sound differently with a different conductor. Mm-hmm. And I... I I, I guess maybe I become more technically oriented. I like to listen. I'm more aware of the technical aspects of it. 
What are your thoughts about period orchestras, like Beethoven being played on instruments that were uh, that he that were available during during his time? Uh, I like it a lot. Uh, no more or less than on on quote unquote modern instruments. But I've actually a couple of years ago, I was lucky to go to Austria and I saw a couple of uh, period orchestras at uh, Musikverein in Vienna, and uh, I, I, they were actually in costume too. It was uh, it was oh, a lot wow. of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Because the sound is really, uh, I remember when that they started doing that in the in the '80s, and it was such a different sound. Yeah, and, it's and for me, like it, the it, horns had the horns had no valves back exactly. then. Exactly. Like, yeah, <laughs> and, and the strings are different, and the yeah. And yeah it, I go to Renaissance fairs because they they usually a lot of the musicians really use the period instruments, and it's yeah. so different than yeah. if if they yeah, it's just completely different. I, I enjoy the Baroque music when that's played on uh, period instruments because that sort of really falls in line with what it really was like in the Baroque yes. era. Yes. And I, I just think that the well, I you know, it's a, you know, the, the the difference is blurred now because because uh, from my ears, the contemporary instruments, if you will, are being played as if they were you know original as as close as they can. Yes. And so, so it's hard it it it's it's muddy but I remember when I first heard it it was a revelation for me. Oh I, I agree and it's it, as I say you know especially like the, there's a lot of Sunday morning baroque programs that are on and a lot of yeah. the stuff pieces they play are on period instruments and it's great. It is. No it, it's really interesting. So okay so you are um so you start going to to um to concerts with your parents and listening to classical music when you were uh, you know, doing your work. And then, so how did you sort of begin to ease into being a DJ again? Well, I've always had the love of radio. And when I started to scale back my professional career, I knew that this station existed in Connecticut. And I just heard an announcement one time that they were looking for volunteer broadcasters. And it's a volunteer station. Everybody volunteered on it. And uh, I I just sent an email and and they said, come on in and audition. And Next thing I know, I was on on Sunday afternoons, and it was it was wonderful. So, what what year is this approximately? Twenty eleven. Okay, so were you losing your sight back then? Uh, I really lost a lot of sight in twenty sixteen, so I was still okay. But twenty sixteen is when I really started to lose my sight kind of rapidly. So, so you're 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 doing your work. You I presume you you sort of eased out of your nine one one work. That's that, exactly right. That Matter of fact, too. it went part time, and yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So, uh, how long were you at the, this radio station as a volunteer? This one I was at for let's see, twenty eleven to uh, late twenty seventeen. So I guess you know six, seven years, something in that uh, time frame. And, and it was pretty much every Sunday afternoon, or did it change, or how? how did no, that it was pretty much every Sunday afternoon, noon to three. And what kind of feedback did you get from the uh, from from the listeners? Uh, a lot of great feedback. It was I was surprised actually the devoted classical music listeners in Connecticut. And and we actually had quite a few online listeners. By that time, online radio was really going gangbusters. And the knowledge that people would call and we just talk on the phone while the pieces were playing it, it, it was great to interact with such a great classical knowledge base from the listeners. So since we're, uh, we're, our audience is primarily blind folks. I'm interested in talk and hearing you talk about. So you're you're doing this show. Uh, you began have have uh, issues with your eyesight in 2016. You said, 
how did that impact the way you recorded your you recorded your show or you know you broadcast your show on that public radio station? There's there's two things that I really started to do when I uh, I had a detached you know as I say I've only had I actually only have one real eye and that was my whole life so when I had a detached retina in my good eye uh, that was sort of really the beginning of the end so what I would do is I would take my iPad and I would make it as high as it would go font in bold and that's how I would actually transcribe anything that for example had to be read I'd have my wife read it to me at home. And I would make it so it's astronomical size print. And we were playing at that time, we were playing a lot of CDs. So I had a very strong magnifying glass so I could, you know, select the right cut to play on the CD. And it it, it got to be quite cumbersome. And, and uh, say more about that, the cumber the cumbersomeness piece. Because eventually I when I gave it up, well, there's two things that caused me to give it up. I really couldn't see mm-hmm. the CD players well enough to select the right cut. And in parallel with that, my ability to drive went away. And so that was kind of the, the demise of, of my radio clear, uh, career until ACB Radio. But it was, I tried to make do as much as possible. As a matter of fact, one of the other broadcasters brought in a, a magnifying glass for me to try. And, you know, one of those type things that a doctor would use in his office. We tried all that stuff. And uh, some of it helped, some of it didn't. And it was, it, it was kind of depressing, actually. Sure. I would imagine it would be. What did you hear about ACB? Talk about how you connect with ACB. I actually heard ACB reports. There's a a subcarrier radio system in Connecticut called CRIS. And don't ask me to, I think it's Connecticut Radio Information Service or system. They they basically, it's a, a radio station for the blind and they all read newspapers and magazines. And long story short, I heard ACB reports on that station. It's like, oh, Hmm, yeah, that's the radio reading service. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. I heard it. And it's like, oh. let me let me try to listen to this station. So I did. And uh, <laughs> I think I was listening to mainstream more than anything else. And I heard one of the announcements uh, that said they're always looking for volunteers. So I e- emailed Debbie Hazelton called me back the next day. I think I talked to Jason a couple of days later. And before you know it, I started I started the classical show first before the top 40 show. So before you know it, I was on the air with the with the classical show. So what did you start the classical show? Yeah, what year? Uh, just last year, uh, Mar- uh, April, April of last year. So uh, that must have been a rough time for you, right? You were sort of, you know, here's, here you were, this busy guy traveling all over the world, doing this music stuff, you know, broadcasting, and then you lose your sight. And you're, it sounds like you were sort of marooned for a while. Is that a fair assessment? Or how did you, how, how, what was your life like between, you know, uh, before you re- reconnected with AC, you know, well, not reconnected. Yeah, the, the with adjustment AC. piece, right? Yeah, the adjustment. Oh, yeah. very, it was, it was very difficult. Cause that's a good way to put it, Peter, that I was marooned and mm-hmm. I was married at the time. So I had a, a sighted wife. So she was able to, uh, to drive me around. But yeah, I kind of stayed at home. We would go to concerts because she would drive me to concerts or if, even if she didn't want to go, she'd drop me off and pick me up. I could mm-hmm. go to the concerts, but it it was rough. And I'm not just saying this because I'm on ACB radio, but finding ACB and ACB radio was a godsend for me. Sure, sure. Oh. Yeah, no, that uh, you know, that's it, it's tough, right? And you know about this too, because you, you work with these folks more than I have, but uh, that's, that's a tough transition. It is. When you lose your vision midlife, it's really tough. 
Um, yeah. And no matter how visually impaired you were before that, that dive into the being marooned like that, that's a good word. Um, there, the adjustment is, it's hard. It's really tough. And uh, anybody that can find anything to be a grounding point, like ACB radio or anything like that, you know, and find that sense of belonging again and, and really, you know, help them find that sense of uh, purposefulness is, 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 is really important. So and I'm glad you the, found that, Daryl, because. One of the things you know, that was really hard for me is when my employers, believe it or not, were not that accommodating because of me going blind. And that even that even made it harder. So, yes. you know, wonderful to find an organization where it's, you know, full of visually impaired and folks like myself that, you know, none of those issues exist. It's a different No, we world. get it. We because <laughs> yeah. we empathize. We know. <laughs> yep. It's a, it's a different world. It's a different <laughs> world. It, it, it truly is. Yeah. So, talk about the the uh, you know, uh, you 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 sent an email saying, "Hey, I'd like to do some AC radio." What was the process like? You said you got a call from Debbie Hazelton. How did they support you in getting your your program started? Well, uh, actually, Debbie was was very good. We kicked around some different ideas of what I could do, and she sort of focused on the classical show because there's even right now I'm the only one that plays classical music on on ACB radio, and it was something that wasn't being provided. So when she found out that I had been a classical music disc jockey, she you know kind of focused me on that, and uh, then. Uh, Jason Castingway, who's, who's with us today, he really gave me some great advice as to what equipment to buy and, and how to get into it. And I've always kind of loved computers. It's fun to fool around with them. And so uh, I did that. And uh, I, before we even agreed that I was going to do a show, I made sure that I could at least stream something. And uh, I could and use, using test servers and things like that. So I was like delighted and then so we decided well let's give it a shot it really started as a two-hour show and uh i guess i guess they liked me and i liked them so it went to went to three hours so do you wow, have, that's great it, it is it is it is great do you have any sense of how, how how big your audience is and what kind of reactions do you get from your audience i don't really know it it's a it's a fairly small audience. It's not as big as, of course, we'd like to have it, and we're we're trying like heck to to build up the audience. But right. the people that do listen to both shows, both the classical and top forty show, are very interactive with me, and you know we kind of call it ACB Radio Cafe with an interactive experience. And mm-hmm. I get quite a few emails from folks. And um, matter of fact, I have a, a very devoted listener in Finland. So oh, wow. it's, yeah, it's fun to be a little international. You just, even on the internet, you just never know who's listening. Well, it may be time to play with Carl Nielsen. Uh, and, I've and, done uh, that. Uh, have you? Okay. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Great recordings by the New York Philharmonic. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Carl Nielsen yeah. and yeah. Uh, other, uh, I'm forgetting. Oh, Sibelius. Well, I'm oh, not. Sibelius, Finlandia. That, oh yeah, yeah. My, my, I've actually become friends with the woman in Finland and we talk a lot about Finlandia and how Sibelius is kind of a, a, a hero in Finland. No, he is. I, I don't know the mm-hmm. I don't know the entire story, but that Finlandia was written as a protest, as I understand the story. Yep, and it's it's still you know there's a version where the the words which you don't hear that often, but it's still sung a lot in Finland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's quite a story. Um, yeah, no, I personally I'm not a Sibelius fan at all, but he has some devoted fans. He, he does well. I love his violin concerto. I think that's a great piece of music. Uh, I am delighted. <laughs> Fair enough. Darrow, what is your favorite classical instrument? I mean, overall, 
uh, violin. I just, I yeah. just love the okay. sound of the violin and, and, you know, uh, uh, get a great violin sonata or even a, a mm-hmm. small, you know, string quartet is mm-hmm. chamber music. Uh, I just love it. And who is your favorite string quartet composer? I love the, all the 32 Beethoven string quartets. I yeah, just, I love them. They're yeah. Great. And, you know, the difference between one and 32, you can hear how Beethoven matured over the years. And it's, yes. I, I love those. And what about female composers? Who are your favorites? Who would you recommend someone like me who may not know them? Who should I Google and listen to? Uh, I would say Amy Beach and Florence Price. I Those would be my two female favorite composers. And of course, Florence Price really broke barriers because she was uh, African-American and a woman. So I think that really means a lot. Plus, I, I love the way she composed. I love the music she has composed. Uh, Florence Price is a fascinating and an amazing. It's an incredible story. Uh, so I remember her story. She uh, was allowed to go to North East, uh, Northwestern School of Music, but she couldn't practice on site. Yes, yes, I've heard oh, that. Oh, wow. You couldn't yeah. practice on site. I know this because we sang one of her pieces a couple of years ago, and uh, the conductor sort of talked to, us, uh, talked to us about all this stuff. Uh, other women composers I, I, I like are Joan Tower, uh, who I would recommend. He, he, uh, she wrote this amazing fanfare, which I can't remember what it's called, and then a composer named Caroline, Caroline Shaw, you ever heard of Caroline Shaw? I don't know. I've never heard of Caroline Shaw. She, she is she is a contemporary composer uh, who is just incredible. She's overhauled the string quartet. Uh, I would I would seriously t- take a listen to her and, and I will put put I her on put her, Yeah, it's it's really incredible what what she's done. Uh, I am absolutely smitten with her. Her music is incredible. Uh, <laughs> I listen to, even even uh, being blind. I love the female conductors. Yeah. Uh, Suzanne Malky and uh, oh, the she's slipping my mind now. She's a conductor of in her name, of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. She's guest conducted the New York Philharmonic. I love the I love the the women the women conductors. What I find interesting about women conductors, and, and I'm thinking about Joanne Folletta especially because she's on SiriusXM all the time. Um, they they do such a good job of describing the music they, they better than men. I, I, that's my experience anyway, you know, uh, what to listen for and what, and how the piece uh, uh, inspired her and things like that. Mm. She's incredibly good at doing those kinds of things. Uh, what, what exactly. And one of the things that very articulate, is, yeah, yeah. Susan Malky, what, what was very impressive is the New York Philharmonic has open rehearsals and I go to them fairly regularly, of course, pre-COVID. And it's yeah. wonderful because they'll, the, especially she, she would stop and she, you could hear what she's telling the orchestra, do this, do that, you know. And she'd also turn to the audience every so often and say what she's doing and why. And it was just just fascinating. Ah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. No. And more and more conductors are doing that these days, which is great. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because orchestras are really trying to appeal to younger people, like we were talking about earlier, and I guess that's one of the ways that they can, you know, have a concert or open rehearsal during the day and uh, mm-hmm. and and talk to people, so it's not you're not right. overwhelmed, if you will. So, what is your experience, you know, as an adult with younger people in classical music? Well, my experience probably isn't typical because I live close to Yale University, the Yale School of Music. That's true. And they're just passionate about their music. And what's fun is that, and they do play kind of 
they play a mixture. A lot. Some of the students will play the, the Mozart, the Beethoven, Dvorak, things like that. But other ones will play the, the new stuff like uh, oh, Amy Beach or uh, uh, even some stuff written by Nielsen. So there's a nice variety, but they're all so passionate about their music. And what I was trying to say here is that every normally during the academic year, every Wednesday they have a lunchtime concert, and it's actually part of their examination and part of their schooling in the school of music that they have to perform these lunchtime concerts and somewhere in the audience are their professors evaluating them and it's just just <laughs> fascinating to go to <laughs> that must be high pressure mm-hmm. uh, i would think so yeah that would be uh well i i my take on this and i'm curious to know what you if you uh, if my experience is i uh raised three stepkids and Classical music meant absolutely nothing to them. And my guess is still means pretty much nothing to them. But my youngest stepkid was really interested in Philip Glass, who's a 20th century classical mm-hmm. composer, yep. well-known mm-hmm. uh, yep. American composer. And he was fascinated by his music. And it was through sort of the, the, his interest in that music. And, and it probably comes from movie music. You know, he probably started listening to movie music and then went somehow to Philip Glass. I don't quite know what the connection was. And it was through that that I could at least begin to sort of have him sort of understand where Philip Glass came from. And and the, you know, and that, I think, sort of got his attention. I don't think I was fully successful. Um, but um, it's, it's, it's the contemporary music that seems to get the, the kids, at, at least around here in Columbia, Missouri, attention more than the Bach's and Beethoven's and 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 that yeah. creates an interesting challenge for for programmers. Uh, yeah. I'll give you another example, Peter, with um, Star Wars, nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, that's right. And was like, oh my god, what is this? Yeah. And John Williams and the London Symphony Orchestra, from the first note of that whole symphony, but you know that was made for that, you know, for the first Star Wars movie, that reignited my um, passion for classical music. After that, I was I was I, I went to another um, level of appreciation for classical music. Even though you know I was um, you know exposed to it as a kid, my sister was an accordionist. I sat through many Dvorak accordion orchestras. <laughs> you know, and, uh, well, um, I, but, I can see why that might turn you off and, after a while. But, yeah. <laughs> but that, as soon as I heard that first note, that first, I, I was, I was there, and then ever since then. I have been, I've been very, uh, very interested in classical music, especially the symphonic scores with the movies and all of that. And uh, I think that's where maybe the younger people tend to connect, and they need to appreciate it with something, um, you know, that you know, that you know, like a, a, a you know, picture or a podcast or something that really connects with them you know, in that sense. So. And I think as the younger generation gets older, orchestras will be more apt to play those composers because yeah. it's still about the money and the older yeah. people have, you know, mm-hmm. they're the big donors and they want to mm-hmm. hear the Beethoven and things like that. But as the current generation gets older, I think that will change and we'll hear more from the concerts from Philip Glass, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, I, I listened to Sirius XM and they have they they do the Philadelphia Orchestra every every week. And oh, I listen program, to that. Yep. The programming is fascinating. Um, you know, because they'll, they'll always almost always put in one contemporary piece as part of the program. Um, and yeah, I love the way uh, Yannick Nege Sagan uh, yeah. programs them. And and same, I I want to see him someday at the Metropolitan uh, 
Opera also. Well, he apparently is the new, isn't he the new music director of the Metropolitan Opera? Yes, Opera? yes. That, right? yeah. Philadelphia and the Met. He's the music director. Yep. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, he, and he's an incredibly talented guy too uh, about communicating, you know, what the, what the yes. music means. He's very, very good at that. I'd love so. to get to Philadelphia sometime and see him. Well, I could see it at the Met, but I'd still like to see him in Philadelphia with the, oh, the That's a practical matter. We ain't, we ain't hearing anything new until, uh, you know, this virus goes away. I'm afraid you're uh, right. Ford <laughs> immunity. Yeah. That's a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it. Although I, 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 I will say that I'm in a, I'm in a choir and we're going to start rehearsing on Monday night with masks on everything else. So the choirs are beginning to come back a little bit. Uh, and we have we we have a concert scheduled for May. So uh, oh, good. Yeah. It'll, be, so, it'll be an interesting sound with everyone being masked. I don't know how that's going to work. Kind of a I, muted quality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play itself. Singing out. through cotton. <laughs> but, but, but but it's an outdoor concert. So uh, my guess, hmm. you know, and I don't know how many hmm. audience members will be allowed. It's it's in May, so assuming the weather is is not horrible, yeah. it'll be a very nice night. Uh, and we're doing a you know we're doing. We're doing several pieces, so I don't know what's going to happen. So, what are your plans for future shows? If you have any, uh, uh, your Sirius XM shows, if you have any, uh, it's only on a, not Sirius XM. AC I'm sorry, Radio. AC Radio. Sorry, uh, my, if, my if Sirius XM would like to pick me up, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to call <laughs> yeah, I'm, me. <laughs> I'm sure you would. No, AC Radio. So, what are your plans? What are, what are your thoughts for future future? Well, shows? I'd like to explore. I, I'm trying to. explore. I'm trying not to ever play the same piece twice. And also what I'm trying to do in my show is each week, I try to play one of the more well-known pieces because I try to, I try to appeal to as wide audience as I can. And what I try to do is I try to play some pieces that aren't perhaps, you know, once in a while I'll play Beethoven's fifth or, you know, but I try to play a little bit more, pieces that aren't quite as well known by the, you know, the, the big composers, if you will, let's say the top 10 or top 20 composers. And then I, I like to, I like to, I like to play stuff that you, even if you're a classical music lover and you listen to Sirius XM or, you know, WQXR, or any of the big classical station, like for example, you know, we're talking about Mahler. Yeah. You'd, you'd never hear, or very rarely actually, you ever hear a full length, like, Mahler's second or Mahler third on the radio. It's just too long, and I guess it doesn't work financially. So I want to. That's one of my goals. Like Bruckner, Bruckner symphonies are long. I, I want to get more into to exploring some different type music that you don't hear because of the length of the piece. And I'm lucky because on ACB radio, I can play the whole thing. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, speaking as 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 a as a classical fan, I hope you. Uh, think about doing some of the, you know, more contemporary women composers. We talked about Joan Tower and uh, Caroline oh, sure. Shaw. And also, I, I haven't noticed you doing much choral music. Are you planning to think about doing some choral music? Yes, and I've been trying to do more. <laughs> and true confessions here, I kind of forget when I'm yeah. doing <laughs> And so <laughs> I love, I love, of course, you know, the really the three choirs from Cambridge, England. I just love them. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you know, when I did my Christmas Eve show, it was all choral music, and it was I, I got I got actually a very tremendous response from that. So I'm I'm going to incorporate more choral music in. You bet, because a lot of us blind people sing. You know, I mean, it's one of the things that we do a lot, and right. I think that might you know might might be an interesting addition to your. Uh, audience, if you, if you uh, I think that, that's good, and actually, I'm going to take that remind me to to put more in. Daryl, I want to ask you: um, Are you a guide dog user? 
Yes, I am. I have yes. my guide dog, Ramona, which is somewhere around here. I got from Guiding Eyes for the Blind a year and a half ago. Oh, yay. Yay, Guiding uh, Eyes. Yay, my... Guiding Eyes. I know, right? <laughs> Both of us are um, also Guiding Eyes graduates. Yep. I'm on number two. Peter's on number 25. Yeah, no, not 25. <laughs> <laughs> I caught that. Not 25, but seven. Uh, so. um, all right. So, Darrow, um, coffee or tea? Coffee. Well, both, but primarily coffee. Okay. Um, chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Okay. <laughs> These are all easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mozart or Haydn? Uh, uh, I think I would go with Haydn, and I can't tell you why. That's just what my gut's telling me how to answer that. They're, you know, it's funny. they're so similar. Hey. Well, it, it's mm. funny because most people would say Mozart, and I love Mozart, but Haydn is, is more creative orchestration-wise is, is my take on it. And as a percussionist, as a timpanist, you know, Mozart timpani parts are boring. They just are. You're you know, right, Haydn, actually. Haydn's parts are much more interesting. Uh, especially the later symphonies. That's right. Haydn especially wrote. the later yeah. ones. Yeah, especially yeah. the later ones. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so Mozart or Mozart. Oh, female or male opera singers? Oh, oh female. Tend, yeah. Female. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love the sound of the female opera voice. Mm. Tchaikovsky or... Uh, no, that, that let's, uh, well, let's start. We started that Tchaikovsky or Rachmaninoff. Ooh, uh, I think I would have overall, I'd have to go with Tchaikovsky, but I love symphony number no. two and piano concerto by Rachmaninoff and a few of his other pieces, but Tchaikovsky, I love all his symphonies and, you yeah. know, of course the common 1812 overture and stuff like that. So I, I, I think I'd, I'd prefer him. You know, with all I know, the 1812 Overture is like one of the most popular classical pieces of all time. I can't stand it. I absolutely can't stand it. Uh, I think it's oh, Peter. Yeah, no, I, I, it's not. It's not one of my favorite pieces. I love show you. I, I, I love his March Slav better. I think it's a better overture. I love March Slav. Yeah. Well, that's, yep, that's very good too. You bet. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a much better overture. Uh, uh, overture. No, yeah, overture. It is an overture. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, it is an overture. Uh, Mendelssohn or Schubert. Schubert, really? Schubert, I, I love. Uh, I, I I just love Schubert's works. Chopin or Debussy? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a really good one. Chopin, Chopin. Yeah, I love Chopin too. Yes, so much great piano stuff. Mm. But Debussy is uh, Debussy is, is pretty good too. Oh yeah, definitely. That was uh, Debussy. He wrote he wrote his own set of preludes in honor of Chopin. As I remember my piano history course. Really. Yeah, he wrote he wrote a series he wrote a series of preludes uh, for the for, for the piano, so modeled after loosely modeled after Chopin's. You know, I think they're you know different style. Not you know Chopin did did them in different keys. Every key of the universe, Chopin didn't do. I mean, uh, um, uh, Debussy didn't do that. So for whatever, whatever that's worth. Um, let's see. Interesting what? classical music trivia one hundred and one. That's right. Or, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, between the three of us and four of us, actually, you might do pretty well here. <laughs> so, so what's what's your favorite violin concerto? You know, it's it's. Pro- I'd have to say the Dvorak violin concerto. I just feel that that's for some reason that just means more to me, and I that's that would probably be my favorite. Interesting. Have you ever heard the Samuel Barber? Concerto? Yes. Yep. I think to me, I think that's an extraordinary piece. Um, 
I'm not really a violin guy. It's, I mean, I, you know, the instrument's fine, but it's not my favorite instrument. But I love the Barber Concerto. I'm going to have to listen to that again. I, I've heard it, but I'm, now that you've mentioned it, may, that may show up on my playlist very yeah, soon. There you go. Ah. I, mean, I mean, the third movement is just this amazingly fast, just incredible ride. Uh, and the first movements are nice, too. So I, I'm, that's my favorite violin concerto for, for what it's worth. And your uh, favorite piano concerto composer? Uh, I would go with Beethoven. Uh, I think that, you know, the Emperor Concerto number five is just unbelievable. Yeah. I'm a big fan of this three and four also. Yep. Yeah. I I think they're, I think they're incredible. Who's your favorite American composer? Oh, I would say Copeland. I'd say I like Copeland's work. Yeah. Uh, And of course, and actually, got to throw in the mix because of geography, Charles Eyes, because yes. he actually was the organist at a church right here in New Haven, Connecticut, when he was alive. So it's kind of a local connection for me. Mm. Have you have you played any Charles Eyes on your show? Yes. Don't ask me to remember which piece, <laughs> but very recently. But I plan on playing some more of him because, as I say, it, I was reading about him the other day and the local connection. And it's like, ah, I want to hear more. Cause I personally, I want to hear some more of it. So why not do it right on my show and have everyone here at the same time? Yeah. Well, I, um, his symphonies are well, except for his first symphony, which is absolutely dreadful. Uh, the other three are, are quite remarkable pieces in their own way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've recently uh, heard symphony number four and I loved it. I no four might be really good to play cause it's so weird and wonderful. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a good way to describe yeah, it. Actually. It, it, it is. A sort of, I've only heard it once or twice, but it's a fabulous piece. Yep. Uh, it's really a fabulous piece. So that, uh, that, that's great. So, what, what message would you like to leave your audience with as we wrap up the show? Well, I'd love to, to tell everybody how important I think music is in everyone's life. And we don't have time to get into music therapy, but it's just so wonderful. And what I do is if I'm a little stressed out or whatever, I put on my pair of headphones and sometimes I'll listen to Top 40. More often though, I'll listen to classical music and it's just... It's just wonderful to listen. And I encourage everybody to, you know, if you've never been to a classical concert, there's pretty much concerts in every type of major city. There's always some type of orchestra. Go, hear it in person because it's, it's it, even if you're blind, hearing it in person is, is different than hearing a recorded version and give classical music a good shot in a live performance. Agreed. Once the virus uh, goes away. Of course, yeah. yeah. Once the virus goes away. Um, yep. There's nothing to go to right now. No, there <laughs> yeah. But it's going to happen. Yeah, oh, it will eventually, yeah. It will, and it's going it's to be a big deal when it does. Uh, I'm a subscriber to the New York Philharmonic, so they keep me, uh, they keep me informed. And I'm, I'm betting it'll be next, next fall. We'll be, maybe next spring we'll be back. Yeah, well, that well, Daryl, maybe I'll meet you there. Once oh, I love that, Yeah, my sister and her partner love to go. Um, so maybe we'll all meet up. We'll do yeah. a meetup or something. Oh, oh that would be fun. And I love, I love yeah. in the warm weather. I like to go early and just walk around Lincoln Center. It's so so wonderful there. And I always yeah. poke around the Metropolitan Gift Shop and all that good stuff. It, mm. uh, it, it is a great part. I used to live in New York City myself. It, it is a great part of the a great part of the world. I have a quick question, actually. Yeah. Sure. Um, sure. You were talking about the piano at one point. I didn't realize you played. Do you still have a piano around? I do not. And I've kicked around the idea. People have, and maybe it may have actually been you, Jason, that have encouraged me to get, you know, some type of uh, 
oh, a, a keyboard for mm-hmm. use for the computer or something and, and, and give it a shot again. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to read the music, but just so even just to fool around with it, I, I'm, oh, yeah. I, I'd love to do that again. Mm-hmm. Cool. It, it, you know, I mean, it's a wonderful thing, you know, as, as much as I complain about me, not, you know, I, you know, saying I'm a drummer and not a keyboard player. It's a wonderful skill to have and to develop. I, I, I suspect it will probably come. I bet I could play the Marines hymn again. In a yeah. Week or two. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably, Muscle memory. Well, it's th- amazing. It's amazing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what people can do on their keyboards for drumming. Um, uh, that's true. I, I've heard time. people mm-hmm. do drums just using a keyboard, and you'd think they were playing the drums professionally. It's just amazing. It's well, incredible. It, that's the way I did my drum tracks. Was were, were you know? Uh, so anyway, yeah. Thank, thank you, Daryl, for being with us for the past hour. Uh, we wish you well on your show, and uh, just remind everybody when the show is and 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 your email address. Yep. Again. Sure. Well, it's been it's, it's been a pleasure to to be on the show with you folks. It's been wonderful. My show, the classical show, is on Monday afternoons from two to five p.m. Eastern. And my top 40 oldies show is on Friday from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. And that's on ACB Radio Cafe. You can ask your smart speaker to play that or use any radio tuner app. You can find it or even just go to the website. You can get it that way. And my email address is Darrow, D-A-R-R-O-W, at acbradio.org. Thank you so much for for being on our show. Uh, This is Peter Altrell of Friends in Art. Have a great rest of the day. Art Parlor is brought to you by Friends in Art and ACB Radio. It airs beginning every Saturday at 8 p.m. on ACB Radio Mainstream. To listen and for a full schedule, go to www.acbradio.org mainstream. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at artparlor at acbradio.org and please feel free to check out our website www.friendsinart.com Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next month.